Hey, we're in 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible handy, would you raise your hand? We want you to follow along with us. I feel very, very strongly that when we come to church, especially, we ought to have an open Bible on our, on our laps and read what the Lord is saying. You know, don't just take my word for what the Lord, it, it, what it comes from this pulpit, but go back and look at what the word of God says. God doesn't want us to be ignorant of his word. It's something that we have before us. And I desire uh, more than anything for us all in this building, anybody who comes into the four walls of this building that we consider a sanctuary of the Lord, uh, I pray and hope that we can uh, grow in the Lord on a day-by-day basis, on a week-by-week basis, and we mature in the Lord and that we know what the Word of God says so that we cannot be taken unawares by fallacy and counterfeit that's out there. Uh, And if ever there was a time for us to know the word of God and know what is going on in society and in this world, uh, it's now. Uh, Because right now, even as I prayed here a little bit ago about how the world's view of God is so skewed, we have the word of God in front of us to describe who God is, to describe and to share with us the love and and, and the compassion that he has for mankind, but a coming judgment. I mean, there there is a consequence for rejecting the gift that God has given to us, but there is a love and a grace and a mercy that is being spread forth right now to all of us who have come to know him uh, and those of you who don't know him yet the grace and that the grace of God's gift and salvation where you can be wiped away clean of your sins um, though your skins were as dark red scarlet they would be white as snow in Jesus Christ if you are a person in Christ the Bible tells us that you know, you're a new creation. Old things have passed away and behold, all things have become brand new. And so there's a new life for you. There is a life. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11 talks about how, you know, I know God speaking. I know my thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and to give you a hope. To give you a, to bring you to a glorious end. And, and, and here's the thing. We're in a society, we're in a world right now where there's much unrest. I know I didn't mention much about, in fact, I don't even think I mentioned it last week, on the attacks in Paris and the attacks that are, are going on and supposed to be happening even today uh, in, in many uh, parts of uh, France and even in Atlanta, Georgia, supposedly, there's supposed to be an attack uh, from ISIS, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia at a, at a you know, uh, WWE wrestling match, you know, and, and uh, it's getting crazy out there. It's getting crazy. It's nuts. It's nuts. How do we handle this situation? Well, as we work our way through the book of First Corinthians, um, know that they lived in a day and an age that was difficult to be a Christian in that day. Uh, in Corinth is you can pick up the tape from last week or I say tape you can pick up the CD from last week if you desire one ask Bert about it and we'll make sure you get one uh, Bert is over here behind the, the soundboard um, but as we introduced the book of 1 Corinthians last week um, what we talked about was the 
the uh, uh, I'm thinking of a word I can't think of the word that I'm using but it, it just kind of the, 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 the temperament the, the emotion the spirituality the, the demeanor of, of, of the church in relation to the world that was that it was you know within at that time in Corinth you know that as we talked about that last week it was a pretty debaucherous city it was a pretty ugly city it was a city that that had many of the things that I remember growing up when I when I'd have a pastor uh, articulate and describe Corinth. It always shocked me that that wow there was actually a town that corrupt, and and now I look at our whole nation and I look at the world around me and I say that's not even I mean that's actually tame almost compared to a lot of the things that we have, you know that are going on in our own culture today. And it's in that that uh, I remember looking back in that day saying, man, I wonder how hard it was, you know, as I would hear my pastor, you know, Sloan or or uh, the Baptist church that I grew up in, you know, out in California, you know, or or uh, any of the guest speakers that would come and teach. You know, I always remember, uh, even though I wasn't really walking with the Lord I remember going back and, and, and hearing some of these messages and some of these things, uh, which gives me hope for you kids in here that and, and even adults that you, you, you come in, you listen. Some stuff is going to stick because uh, it's stuck in me. Hopefully it sticks in you. Uh, and, and hopefully it, it comes to fruition in your life where God begins to, to really do a work in your life through the things that you've heard, through the things you've studied on your own. And especially as you progress on in your life, as you study for yourself, that which you're hearing, and I hope and pray that we, do, we all do that on a day-by-day basis, that we get into the word and we see if what is coming out of this pulpit is actually correct biblically. And if not, call me on it. Because it's not about me and it's not about my views and it's not about my opinions. It's about what does the word of God say and what is the word of God saying to us today and how are we to thus then live. But I remember hearing back in that day, you know, um, as they described Corinth, these pastors would describe Corinth. I'd, I'd look at that and I'd think, wow, that's a pretty, that's a pretty ugly place, man. That's a pretty hardcore place. I mean, it is, as I shared last week, you know, uh, we, we have a saying in, about Las Vegas, you know. What happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas, well, that would be much the same mantra, mantra from uh, and philosophy of Corinth of that day in Greece, and that is, hey, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth because it's a pretty ugly place. And so here's the thing: as we look at the book of Corinthians, First Corinthians, we see Paul writing to a church that is there. In Corinth, the believers that are there in Corinth, and 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 he's talking to them about how they are to be living. How shall we thus live? And what should we do as believers? What should be a a a description of what the church should look like in Corinth? And again, I remember back when the pastors would talk about that and going, man, that would be so hard to be a Christian back in that day because of the temptations that would be all over the place. And now here it is, um, you know, uh, you know, 40 years later, and here I am 
living in that place that I wondered how would it be to live in such a place. A place that was ruled by intoxicating drink. A, a, a place that was that was ruled and 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 run by incredible, disgusting sexual immorality, um, things that that Paul will address in the book of saying, you know, there's some things that are happening within the church. You've allowed the world to seep into the church and you've become tolerant of sin. You become tolerant of the things that are not correct things that are not that should not be a description that should not be a definition of what the true church of Jesus Christ should be you've allowed it to creep into the church and because of that I, I, I call you on the carpet in fact there's some things that are so tolerant within the church that there's some disgusting things that are happening and Paul even identifies even one of them he says there's even mentioned that there is a man who has his father's Wife, And he's sleeping with her. And you guys are welcoming him into the church. And you're saying, hey, man, we are just a tolerant group of folks, man. We're a tolerant group of believers. And we love you. And we want you to know that Jesus loves you, too. I know that you've got some ugly sin, but I'm not going to confront that sin. I just want you to understand the acceptance of God all the way around. And let's just be happy and lovey and dovey. And, and let's just pretend that that sin isn't there. Because if I judge you on that, then I'm going to be considered a judge. And I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to, you know, be accused of, of, of you know, being intolerant and, and so on and so forth. Well, here's the thing. Paul says, I say this to your shame. You should not be letting that man just come in and, and be a part of the fellowship and act like nothing has happened. In fact, treat him like an unbeliever. And I know I remember hearing that one time and I remember hearing, well, what does it mean to treat him like an unbeliever? The first thought that came to my how, into my head was this, uh, cast him out. You know, cast him out and berate him and say, you dirty, stinking, no good sinner, get away. Well, and then I grew up in the faith and I thought, well, that's what the church is filled with, dirty, rotten, stinking sinners, of which I probably am chief. And it's through the grace of God that has given me the ability to stand in God's presence. I stand not in my own skin. I don't stand in my own robe of righteousness. It's the, I have, ex, I have given the Lord my life and in exchange, he has is, he is placed upon me a robe of righteousness. That before the eyes of his father, he looks through his son, Jesus Christ, at me because I find myself hidden in Jesus Christ. And so it's not goodness. I can look down on anyone else. I don't look down on anyone as it is. The point is, this is not my house. This is not your house. This is God's house. And God doesn't want sin to run rampant within the fellowship. Especially, you know, ugly, you know, debaucherous sin. You've heard me talk about this before. You know, there was a fellow in here that, that came in and he confronted me on a Wednesday night one time when we were still doing our Wednesday night services. And he, and he said, you know what, a couple of your deacons are really, really ticking me off. I said, really, what's going on? He says, well, they keep, he keep, they keep calling me and they talk to me about my life and my lifestyle. I said, well, what's going on? What's happening? What are they saying? 
Well, they're saying that I'm not, I shouldn't be living with these two girls and sleeping with these two girls. I said, well, are you? And he goes, yes, but that's beside the point. The point is this. I believe God's fine with this. And I said, that's not fine. That's not fine. And I began to lay out scripture after scripture after scripture to him. And he's going, you know what? You can lay out scripture to me all you want, but here's the thing. I believe God's okay. And I'm like, wow, you found the loophole. It reminds me of W.C. Fields. Some of you guys remember W.C. Fields. Any kid remember a guy by the name of W.C. Fields? I don't think so. Us adults do, you know, us adults do. But W.C. Fields, he was a, you know, he was a guy, he never was a believer. But somebody actually found W.C. Fields with a Bible in his hand. And they said, W.C. Fields with a Bible in his hand? And he goes, oh yes, looking for loopholes, looking for loopholes. And that's what we try to find. We try to find a loophole. And that's what this fellow tried to do. He thought he found the loophole that was okay. God was okay with him sleeping with two women that weren't his wife. And I said, are you serious? you believe that it's okay? God's good with you sleeping with these two girls that aren't your wife? Yeah. I said, you know, here's the thing. I've laid out scripture to you. You, you, you want nothing to do with scripture. You have you bypassed what the word of God says. And as hard as it is and as painful as this is, I have to ask you, You've, you've got to, to leave. This is not a place for you because this is not the attitude. This isn't the kind of a lifestyle that God ever desires within the body of his church. And if you come in here and we just allow it and we say, okay, yeah, just go ahead. You can continue to hand out bulletins. You can continue to do this because we're tolerant. All of a sudden, what happens is that a cancer comes into a fellowship and it begins to grow and grow and grow. And as hard as it is to, to eradicate cancer, sometimes cancer has to be eradicated through surgery, through removal of the bad cells. And I asked him, I said, hey, here, my friend, you've got to leave. You can't have this attitude. You can't look at the word of God and turn a blind eye to God's word. You've got to leave. Don't, don't do this, man. Don't force me into this place. He goes, well, man, that's all on you, man. You're going to have to stand before God for kicking a guy out of church. Okay. And, and here's the thing. That's a, that's a hard thing for me to have to do is to ask a person to leave. Especially when you're a small body of believers. Man, one person leaves, it's tough. You know, you really notice it. You know, when I was over in Fort Lauderdale where we had, you know, 12 to 15, 18,000 people, when one person goes, well, it doesn't really matter. It does. It totally matters, but you don't notice it. But when one person leaves here, when, when, when this morning we began and there were a lot of empty chairs here, we noticed. We talked about you. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> Here's the thing. We, we notice because we're a small body and so it, it, it affects us when one person falls away. And so the person had to, to go away. And so he said, okay, you're kicking me out of the church. I said, well, no, I'm asking you to leave until you can come to grips with this between you and the Lord and you recognize that God's word is true and your word, you have not found a loophole. And he departed and he left and he was gone for quite some time. And, and through many different circumstances that happened in his life that he kind of went down some really, really rough roads. But I saw him just a few years after that at a pastor's conference. He had moved out of Sarasota. I saw him at a pastor's conference and he he came up to me and in tears. He, he apologized and said, man, my life went downhill. I'm thinking, wow, God, it worked. 
exactly what you said was going to happen. Treat him like an unbeliever. Yes, cast the guy out. Cast the guy out of the fellowship. For what reason? So that he doesn't find a, 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 a friendly you know, heart towards his sin within the body of believers because there is a cancer. And as he departs from the fellowship, hopefully and prayerfully, he longs for that which was right and which was holy. Not that we're holy and not that we're right. Not that we have conquered every one of our sins. It's just that when we recognize we have sin in our life, we hopefully and prayerfully we come before the Lord and ask him to remove it from our life. We ask him to grow us up, to sanctify us, to... to, to, uh, come in and change us and to, to transform us to become that man or that woman or that child that God desires us to be. And because of that, because of that, it's not that we don't sin, it's that we're not comfortable in sin. We come before the Lord and we go, Lord, I blew it again. Well, how many times can a person do that before you kick them out of the church? I say 70 times 7. Which means that I don't have a time, I don't have a limit. Here's the thing, if a person is genuinely repentant of their sin, and they're coming before the Lord as they continue to sin, here's the thing, Jesus says, continue to forgive that person. But when someone takes boldness in their sin and says, God has said it's okay for me to continue in this sin, well now we've got a cancer. And now we have to do some surgery to do that. And the guy was, you know, reinstituted into a church and he ended up getting back into church and fellowship and what have you because he recognized, yeah, I was an idiot. I said a lot of bad things and I said a lot of things that I shouldn't have said. But you know what? I was lonely and I, I, you know, here's some things. I justified my sin and I was an idiot and I, I just blew it. I just want you to apologize. I just want to apologize. I ask for your forgiveness. Obviously, I forgave him. I gave him a big hug and have seen him maybe once since then. But here's the thing. Paul says, remove that fellow from the fellowship. You think that you're tolerant by letting that sin happen? A a son sleeping with his dad's wife. That's not good. That's not good. Don't do that. Well, that's kind of the society that we live in right now. And churches are saying, hey, it's okay if you're a Christian and you're in leadership and you're doing things that are actually in sin. It's okay for you to do that. Paul says, no, it's not. Jesus would say, God would say in his word, no, it's not. It's not okay to sin and think that everything is okay. There are no loopholes in the Bible. And so Paul is addressing these things as he looks in the church, to the church there in Corinth. He's saying, guys, God has done a miraculous thing in you guys because he came in here and he did a a, a wonderful thing in your lives. He says, uh, look what it says here. I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. It says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified, which means set apart, to those who are sanctified in Christ, in Christ Jesus, called saints with all who are in every place. They call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you guys and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. I thank my God. Listen, this is Paul's heart towards these people. Even though some sin had crept into the church, even though some ugliness had crept into the church that needed to be addressed, 
Paul says, every time I think about you guys, I thank my, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift eagerly awaiting the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, we're... Before we even jump into verse 10, here's the thing. In these first nine verses, what Paul says, he's going, man, I thank God for you guys. Paul understands the type of a culture that these guys were living in. He understands the type of the city that they were living in. He understands the temptations and some of the deep-rooted issues that was going on in their life. He understood that, that the majority of people accepted that life, accepted that lifestyle. I mean, can you imagine? The temple there had a thousand prostitutes to go and sleep with to offer yourself and surrender yourself unto the Lord. And as a man, you'd go home and you'd say, Hey, honey, I'm sorry, I was just down at the temple. What were you doing? Uh, offering sacrifices. Oh, well, okay, as long as you were offering sacrifices. Is that sick? You were sleeping with some girls there to offer sacrifices to Aphrodite. And they accepted it. They accepted it in their home. When I see, you know, in the news that some, some, it's usually, you know, a Hollywood couple that say, oh, we have an open relationship. Can I, can I tell you ultimately what an open relationship is? It's called divorce. <laughs> it, it, it just, it's divorce. Because we're not set up to share each other with each other. That's not how it is. God never designed us for that. And yet, this is exactly what was going on back in that day. Men and women accepted this kind of behavior because everybody became tolerant. Everybody became accepting of debaucherous life. And Paul said... Though the world might accept it, let it not be accepted within the body of believers. Let it not be accepted within the church. Because here is the thing about being a Christian. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. You've heard the term before, you know, if, you know, to be in the world is like a ship on the sea. You're in the world. But if you are of the world, a ship, if you're in the world and not of the world, you're like a ship cruising on the ocean, in the ocean. Or a submarine. You're in the ocean. But if you're of the ocean, that's a whole different thing. You are to be in the world, but not of the world. Because... To be of the ocean would be that you be one with the ocean, which means that the water has come on board and you have completely allowed the water to come into your vessel and the water is enveloping your vessel. What's going to happen to that boat? It's going to sink. What's going to happen to that submarine? It's going to sink. If, if the submarine is of the ocean, not just in the ocean, but if it's of the ocean, it has become one with the ocean and it's called death. It's called sinking. It's called drowning. And so as Christians, we're to be like ships in an ocean. 
But we're not to, and that, that, it's like the, the, the water that would envelop the submarine or envelop the ship is like the sin that's in our life. We need to constantly purge it out. There's a purging motor on a boat that purges the water that comes into the boat, purges it out because we don't want much water on our boat. And it's the same kind of a thing with us as Christians. We are to, on a day-by-day basis, on moment-by-moment basis at times, purge ourselves as we come before the Lord and remove the sin. Lord, I'm sorry, I went down this road. I shouldn't have gone down. My Lord, my thoughts went down a road that I shouldn't have gone down. My eyes wandered in a place that they shouldn't have. My hands typed on a computer or on my phone something that it shouldn't have typed. My mouth opened up and said something to other people that I shouldn't ought have said. And so, Lord, that was not a right representation of you. I'm so sorry, God. I repent of that. Repentance means turning away. As you confess it before the Lord, it's acknowledging what God calls what you did. Confession is acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of what it is, that what God calls your sin, you call your sin. That's called confession. Repentance is, okay, God, I call this what you call this, and this is not right. Repentance means I'm turning 180 degrees away from what this is and going the opposite direction. That's repentance. True repentance is walking away from it. Does it mean that you'll never fall back into that sin ever again? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that at that moment, at that time, you've confessed, you've repented, and you've been restored. And here's the thing. You might fall right back into that sin again, maybe a day later, maybe a week later, maybe a year later, maybe five minutes later. Run back to the Lord and confess it, call it what it is, repent of it, and turn away from it. Well, how many times can I actually do that before it just doesn't mean anything? Jesus says there is no end to how many times you can confess your sin and repent of your sin. Go to him. His mercy, his arm is not short that it cannot reach. Now his ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. God can forgive you of your sin and wants to forgive and wants to restore and wants to renew. But that we live in sin is not proper and not something that is accepted in the eyes of the Lord. So here we are living in this day and an age where very much it identifies with the city of Corinth back in that day. And right now, we're, we're living in a day and an age where there is going to be a time where us, as Christians, we're really going to be called on the carpet. Because up until this point, being a Christian has been fairly easy here in the United States. Would you agree with that? It's been pretty easy to be a Christian in the United States. But it's becoming ever more difficult to actually proclaim that you're a Christian today. For even our own government has begun to turn its back on Christianity. But that doesn't mean that we should turn our back on Christianity. It means that probably every single one of us in here, the majority of our friends, well, I won't say the majority of us in here, but there's a lot of us in here, that the majority of our friends are non-believers. And, 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 and the question would be, you know, how vocal are you in your Christianity? You know, if, if, if your friends were asked, is this person a Christian? Would they say, uh, I don't, they might be, I don't know. I mean, they're like us. I'm not a Christian and he's just like me. 
I, I'm not a Christian and she's just like me. I, I kind of, I accept this, I accept that, I accept that, I'm tolerant of this and this and this and this and this and you kind of start laying out all these things and that person is just like me. Here's the thing, I, I, I'm going to say that as, us, as Christians, we're going to, it's going to be ever more difficult to hide in the shadows. And that's okay. That's okay. It's going to call some of us, it's going, to, it's going to cause some of us to make a stand and say, hey, do I really want to follow Christ or do I not? And that takes me basically to my lesson today. I'm going to focus on a word. There's one word here that I see, Paul called, called. In verse 1, Paul was called, and this is my page two notes that I have to remember right now. The Greek word is kletos, K-L-E-T-O-S, kletos, which literally means to be appointed, to be uh, accepted, to be invited, to be, in, and the idea is, is this called, it's an idea of being invited to a banquet, kletos. Um, there are two places in the Gospels that this word kletos, or the, a, a form of that word, the, which is meaning exactly the same thing, kletoi, kletoi, K-L-E-T-O-I. Instead of kletos, kletoi, it's just the same word, different form, but Jesus uses this word. And in the Gospels it's used differently than it is used in the epistles. When Jesus uses the term called, he uses a phrase, and you've heard the phrase before. It's found in two different places. One is in Matthew chapter 20, verse 16, and Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. And it's this, for many are called, but few are chosen. Right. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are kletoi, but few are chosen, and that Greek word is eklektoi, E-K-L, E-K-L-E-K-T-O-I, eklektoi. That's where I, that was a miracle that I remembered that. I'm telling you, my brain doesn't work that good anymore, and here it is today, eklektoi. Many are called, but few are chosen. Paul uses this word, kletos, or kletoi, here in this passage. And you remember I said last week that it says here, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brothers. That, that in your Bible, you, you see that probably most of your Bibles will have to be in there, but you'll see that it's in, in, in italics, and it's not necessarily needing to be there. It, back, it basically takes away from the emphasis and the strength of what is actually being said there. To be is a word that the translators put in there to try to help us to understand uh, you know, a little bit more it's what's going on. And sometimes that can hurt us because what Paul is saying, Paul called an apostle, not to be an apostle, called to be an apostle would see that God has called me to a position 
He's called me to a position. He's called me to something. Whether I do it or whether I don't is going to be determined upon me. I am going, I'm called to be an apostle. If I do go and accept the calling, well, then I'll be an apostle. If I refuse the calling or if I reject the calling, then I won't be an apostle. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says the strength of this is I am called an apostle. My life is defined as being one who has seen Christ and one who has been commissioned by Christ. Whether I follow after it or whether I do not, it doesn't negate the fact that God, Jesus called me an apostle. My life is defined by the term apostle. Whether I follow it or whether I don't. And Paul took that matter seriously. He took that position seriously. It's the reason why Paul talks about in this book, this book exactly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it's in verse 11 or verse 16, and then also in, verse, uh, in, in chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says this. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul took his position as apostle so seriously that he's saying, Here's the thing, I wake up with Jesus on my mind and I go to sleep with Jesus on my mind. Doesn't mean that I don't sin. We found that out back in Romans chapter 7, didn't we? You remember where Paul was saying, oh man, oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death because the things that I will to do, those are the very things that I don't do and the very things that I don't want to do, those are actually the very things that I practice. And it's driving me nuts, Paul's saying. I'm a wretched man. I've got this body of death on me and there's just this sin that just is within me. For I find that in me, that is within my flesh, that nothing good dwells. And he makes that clarification because he knows that within him is the Holy Spirit living within himself. And as a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in your soul, in your heart. You have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling your body, your spirit, because He gave you a new life. So Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. That means that that in my heart, in my spirit, in my soul, the one thing that is good is the Holy Spirit. But in my flesh, there is, I, I've looked, there's nothing. My motivations, my agendas, my, my, what I look at, what I think, my opinions, all of those things, there's nothing good that dwells there. Given my own resources, left to my own resources, I will fail and I will fail utter, utterly and miserably. And he says, I am a wretched man and who is going to deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, oh, I thank God through Jesus Christ. Through Christ. I'm delivered through Christ, Paul says. And so Paul, he lives that life as an apostle. He says, listen, I understand what it is to feel sin. I understand what it is to be tempted by sin. I understand what it means to do what you don't want to do. And I understand what it means to to not do what it is that you're supposed to do. I've struggled with the same things. But I know that in me, the Holy Spirit lives and he abides in me. And so I understand this. Romans 8.1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If I'm in Christ Jesus, you can turn that AC up a little bit because it's looking like some people are 
shaking a little bit here. I feel good, but I know some of you gals are, and guys, sorry, man, I didn't mean to call you out. But here's the thing, you know, it's, uh, it, it was warm when we came in here today. He's saying, I know that within me is not good, but I know that the Holy Spirit in me, that is good, and I know that he's the one that's going to deliver me from this body of death. And because of that, because my life is wrapped up in Christ, because my life is surrendered and lived in Christ, and when I sin, I confess it. When I sin, I call it God. I call it what God calls it. When, when I sin, I turn away from it as God would have me to turn away from it. Not to mean that I won't return back to it at times, because that's part of the things that I will not to do. Those are the things that I do. He says, I still go back to the Lord and I ask for forgiveness and he forgives me. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to rest in my sin. I'm not going to rest in my, in my, my, my life apart from the Lord. My life is hidden in Christ. And my life is going to be different from this day forward. And as Christians, that's who we are. We came into this coming from the world and into a place of being in the family of God where God is our father and we are the sons and daughters. He doesn't have grandchildren in heaven. God has sons and daughters in heaven. And so you and I, we become son or daughter to the Lord when we accept what he has done on our behalf because we could never accomplish what he accomplished for us. So Paul, he uses this word called. I'm called. Now, I am going to blow a word here because I, I don't remember one of the words. I can't remember how to spell it. But there are two areas that Jesus uses this word in the Gospels. Um, Matthew chapter uh, 20, verse 16. Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are uh, kletoi, but few are eklektoi. The point is, is he's saying, there's a difference there is a distinguish. There, there is there is a, dis, uh, a, a distinguishing factor between called and chosen, where you won't find that in the epistles. When Paul uses the term called, he uses, and John, when he uses the word called, when Peter uses the word called, they they refer to the word called kletoi as somebody who has been called and chosen and has acted upon what it is that they've been called to. But Jesus, he goes back a little bit further and he says, many are called, but few are chosen. And you remember the two illustrations back there. I don't have time for you to look them up because I'm running out of time. But here's the thing. Back in Matthew chapter 20, it, it talks about from verses 1 through verse 16, we talk about the story of, of a certain land mo- landowner. It's called you know the parable of the landowner. Let's call him Larry. Larry the landowner. Okay, Larry the landowner, he has some land. Larry the landowner goes down to Lemon Street in Sarasota and he finds some day laborers down there. And he goes down there about 5.45 in the morning and he, he you know, rustles up a bunch of guys out there that are wanting labor for the day. And he says, hey guys, here's the thing. I need you know, 15 of you guys 
to work for me from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. tonight. Here's what it is. I'm going to pay you 100 bucks each. All right? So here's the thing. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., I'm going to pay you $100. Who wants to sign up for this? I need 15. Well, there's more than 15, but 15 come over, and they say, I want to sign up. And he goes, all right, well, here. I'm going to write out a little contract with you saying, hey, I'm going to pay you 100 bucks at the end of the day. You're going to work for me 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. There it is. I'm writing out, I'm making a contract with you that I'm paying you $100 at the end of this day. Right on, man. This is great. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll hop in the back of the truck. Let me take you over to my land. So he does. He goes over and he takes him over to the land and he tells him what to do and he gets his foreman in there and the foreman tells him what to do and the landowner, Larry, the landowner, he goes back down to Lemon Street because he's going, you know what? Here's the thing. I think I need a little bit more work. need a little bit more help. He goes back down there at 9 o'clock in the morning and he says, hey, I, I need some people to help me over in my land. Um, I need you to work till 6 o'clock. Who wants to go? Well, how much is it paying, they say? Well, I'll, I'll pay you what's right. I'm not going to rip you off, I promise. Well, I don't have anything else to go. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So, you know, four or five more jump in the back of his truck and he takes off and goes over. Takes him over there. And they begin to assist with the others that were over there. Now at noon, he goes, man, I, I need some more. And so he goes back over at noon and, and Larry goes back over to Lemon Avenue and says, hey, I need, I need five more guys to work until 6 p.m. Well, how much are we going to pay? Uh, I need you to work till 6, and I, I'll, I'll pay you what's right. I'm not going to rip you off. Okay. And I'm not doing anything else anyway, so jump in the back of the truck, and the other five go, and they go. He does this at 3 o'clock, and then he comes back at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Larry, the landowner, shows up on Lemon Avenue and says, hey, what are you guys still doing standing out here? This is a very modern version of what that text says. But if you go back and look at it, it's exactly what the text says. He says, what are you guys still doing standing out here? Why aren't you working? And they said, well, nobody hired us today. We're day laborers. Nobody hired us today. And he goes, okay, you guys, you guys all jump in the back of my truck. Here's the thing. I need someone to work for me from five until six. You'll get off in an hour. Well, how much are we going to get paid? I promise I won't rip you off. And he takes them over, and they work for an hour, and at the end of the day, at 6 p.m., the toot, you know, toots, the horn toots, you know, and, and it, Larry says, foreman, line them all up and pay them their wages. And start with those who came in last. Those who came in an hour ago, start with those guys. And so the foreman goes over there, and he pulls out this cash box, and he says, all right, line up. Those who came in at 5, line up. Those who came in at 3, line up behind them. Those who came in at noon, line up. And then 9 in the morning, line up behind them. And those who came in at 6 a.m. this morning, you line up behind them. And so they did, and they're all lined up. And the foreman's out there, and he goes, okay, you work from 5 until 6. Okay, here's $100. Yeah, hundred bucks. They all get a hundred bucks. He goes, oh, "Hey, thank you so much for your work, guys." That came in at three o'clock in the afternoon. He goes, "Okay, here's here's here. You guys are getting paid a hundred bucks. Go da 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 da." Now the guys in the back, they're seeing what's going on. They're going, "Hey, wow, these guys who didn't work hardly anything today, they're getting a hundred bucks. How much are we going to make? Man, we're going to get, we're going to just, we're going to rake it in today." And by the time it gets, everybody gets a hundred bucks until it gets to the to the guys who had been working all day 
And they come up, and he goes, all right, you guys are the last guys who came in at 6 a.m. All right, here you go, 100 bucks, 100 bucks, 100 bucks. And he gets three or four guys, and they're going, hey, 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 time out. What's going on here? What's wrong? How come you're doing this to us? And the landowner, Larry, is standing there, and he's going, I'm sorry, I don't understand. What's going on? What's the matter? Well, these guys who came in at, at even 5 p.m., you gave them 100 bucks. And we have bared, bore the brunt of the heat of the day and you're only giving us a hundred bucks? Come on, what gives? And Larry says, wait a minute. I'm confused. Didn't we, didn't we have a contract? Weren't you happy this morning when you had contracted with me that you were going to get a hundred bucks at the end of the day for working 12 hours for me? Well, yeah, but you paid those guys. It's not fair. You paid those guys a hundred bucks and you're only paying us a hundred bucks. He says, well, I never had a contract with those guys. I just told them I'd pay them what I thought was right. Now, I chose to bless these guys. I chose to give these guys 100 bucks. Is it not okay for me to do with my money what I want to do? What I'm contracted with you to do is to give you $100. That's what it was. It, does that make me evil and you good? Or does that make you evil and me bad? And, and me good? And then Jesus steps in and he says in verse 16, he goes, for many are called, but few are chosen. In fact, he says this, before he says that right there, he says this, he says uh, in verse 20, or verse 16, he says, uh, he says, uh, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things or is your eye evil because I'm good? So the last will be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are kletoi, but many are eklektoi. And, and, and then he says, again, and I am out of time, so I can't really go into the, the other illustration where he uses it, the parable in chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, but it talks about how a king, and I called him Kenny, Kenny the king, <laughs> Kenny the king, his son was getting married, and he, he went out and invited all the, all the you know, dignitaries and, the, and the, the friends and the acquaintances of, of you know, Kenny's son and Kenny's. And he says, hey, my son's getting married. Come on over. Everything's ready to go. Come on over. And, and many of them said, ah, I don't want to go. They must not like to Kenny all that much or Kenny's son all that much. Oh, we don't want to go. In fact, they got so bothered by it, they ended up beating some of the, the servants that were coming out and saying, hey, come on. Kenny really, really, really wants you to come to the wedding. He's the king too, man. Kenny the king really wants you to come to the wedding. Nah, I'm too busy. I don't want to go there. I had too many things to go on. Hey, get out of my face because if you don't get out of my face, I'm going to beat you up and they end up beating up some of the servants of, the, of Kenny the king that went out to invite these people. They go back in beaten up and bruised and bloodied and they come back in and Kenny the king goes, you know what? Fine. They will not be invited. The kingdom of heaven is like this. They're not going to be, they're, they're not going to, they were invited, they turned it down, they will not be there at the wedding. In fact, here's what I want you to do. I want you servants to go out into the highways and byways. Whether they be good people, whether they be bad people, you go in and you invite them. It's the modern day evangelism. You go out into the world, regardless of who you think is right or not, those who you think are worthy or unworthy to be able to be accepted into heaven, God has called us to go into the world, into the highways and the byways, and present to them an invitation to go to heaven. And, and here's the thing. Many of them did it. But there was one that didn't want to do it, 
The way that, that, that he didn't want to go in and put, you know, go in with the invitation. He didn't want to go in and put the, the garb on, you know, the, 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 the robe, the wedding robe that you had to wear for the wedding. He wanted to go in on his own terms. And so he went in and he found himself in there differently dressed than everybody else. And Kenny the king came up to that man and says, hey, how did you get in here? You don't have a robe on. How did you get in here? How is it that you're even in here? Oh, well, uh, yeah, I kind of came in my way, my own way. And he says, get out of here. You're not a part of this. The point is, you don't go to heaven based upon the way that you think you need to go to heaven. You go to heaven based upon how God has instructed you to go to heaven. And, and Jesus says this, he says this. He says in chapter 22, he says this. He says, uh, king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. What's interesting is that he says in both occasions, he says, friend, verse 12, he says in, in chapter 22, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? In chapter 20, he says the same thing. He says, friends, how have I done you wrong? He says in verse 13 of chapter 20, but the land, Larry the landowner answered one of them and said, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a day's wage? He uses the word friend. And this is a, a, another one of those little, you know, minor issues here because we look at friend and we go, wow, friend. Well, the word friend in the Greek is a word that is, and this is the, the Greek word I can't remember. It, it's like hierotos, H-I-E-R-T-O-S or something like that. Hierotos or something like that. But the word is not necessarily translated friend. It's actually, tra- it is friend, but there's a meaning behind that friend. And the friend that is defined by that term is a person who becomes a friend if there is an advantage or something in it for them. I'll become your friend if you can offer me something. But there's no genuineness in our friendship. The true word for friend is philo. Philo. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like, a, a, you know, you know, Philo is, you know, where we get our, our term, you know, Philadelphia from, you know, city of brotherly love, city of, of brothers or friend. The idea behind Philo, Phileo, means that I am taking on your heart as my heart. My heart as your heart. We are becoming one with one another. We're friends. We're friends. I am seeking nothing from you. You're seeking nothing from me other than friendship. My friendship with you is not dependent upon what you can do for me. My friendship with you is because we're just friends. Because I love you and you love me. The other friend that Jesus uses here is a friend that he's a friend only if he's going to get something out of it. You ever had a friend like that? Have you ever been a friend like that? If so, you need to you really need to evaluate your heart and evaluate the reason why you have become a friend. This kind of a friend is a friend that only becomes a friend if there's something in it for him. 
That's not really a friend. That's somebody who is using you for his own purposes. And that's what, that's what Jesus uses here in these two, two parables. He says, you only did this because you were getting something out of it. You only did this as it benefited you. But here's the problem with that kind of a person. When anything changes, when situations change, they show their true colors. They're no longer a friend because it's not benefiting me anymore. Have you ever been wronged by a true friend? Where, where a true friend has hurt you and you've gone to that true friend and you've, you've confronted that true friend and that true friend didn't turn his back on you or didn't, didn't turn her back on you but said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't know that I did that. Would you forgive me? I am so sorry. I never would put our friendship on in, in that kind of a position. I never would put our friendship on that line. I wouldn't do that. I did that to my friend Tim Romero one time. Uh, be honest with you, here's what I did. He wanted to, to leave and go. You know, I'm just kind of exposing myself here. Didn't really think this one through, but I'm kind of now I'm on the chopping block right now here. He wanted to go to California, go to Modesto and go to school. Become a pastor under Damien uh, Kyle out there and, and go to a school and, and learn. And he needed a, a reference from me. His best friend and pastor, he needed a pastor's refer- referral. And he says, hey man, can you send that in? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll send it in, I'll send it in. And I didn't. I drug my feet on it. It's not that I wouldn't send it in, but I really, really, really drug my feet on it because I did not want to lose my friend. And Tim confronted me on it. He says, man, it's like three weeks down the road. He goes, they said that they haven't received it from you. Have you you even sent it? Ah, Tim, man, I'm getting to it. He goes, no, man, that's not right. That were friends. I broke. I cried. I said, man, I am so sorry, Tim. I have been dealing with this selfishly. I know that they're going to accept you and I don't want to see you go. And I don't. I have been dragging my feet, hoping that you'd change your mind. And he goes, dude, this is up to the Lord, not us. And you've hurt me. And I said, man, I will never, ever, ever, ever do that again. I own this wrong, man. I am sorry. And like Tim is, he forgave me. But it broke my heart that I broke a friend's heart by being selfish. I was being like this other friend. I acted like this other friend. And praise the Lord and thank God that through him, he allowed me to, he allowed me to, to be the, the, the phileo friend that I should have been in the first place. I filled it all out. And Tim ended up not wanting to go after all. Here's the thing. If you've been hurt by a real friend and they've confronted you on it, it's broken your heart as it's broken their heart, but you know what? You've gotten through it. You know why? Because you were phileo friends. You were friends. But if you were one of these higher autos friends, 
He'd have said, hey, man, you confronted me on it. And you, you kind of bristle up. You can become strong-willed, you know, and, and you, you begin to come up with excuses. Oh, I don't know. And, and you, begin to, you begin to argue a point that there is no point. There is no justification for what you have done. But you're going to, you're going to try to make yourself look the best in the light instead of just humbly saying, you know what? I, friend, blew it. And I should not have done this to a friend. I love you and I'm sorry. See, that other kind of a friend wouldn't do that. The other friend was in your relationship simply to get something out. He wasn't a phileo friend. So, so here, here's the thing. Jesus says, many are called, but few are chosen. And I've got to finish with this. Here's the thing. Jesus makes a distinction between those who are called and those who are chosen. And, and I, I, would, I would challenge us today. You know, we've got a, you know, a body of people in here. There are many believers in here, but I am not going to, you know, be so naive as to think that there might be some people in here that don't have a relationship with Christ. And, and, and maybe some of you think you have a relationship with Christ and you have never truly surrendered yourself to Him. Many are called but few are chosen Jesus says many will come to me just a few chapters before this in chapter 7 Matthew chapter 7 he says many will come to me in that day and they're going to say Lord Lord didn't I do many mighty miracles in your name didn't I didn't I cast out demons didn't I didn't I do all these different things in your name and Jesus will say depart from me I never knew you you were called but you never were chosen you, you were called but you never responded to the call and I'm afraid that we are living in a day and an age. I'm not afraid. I'm actually, I'm actually just placing a warning out there. We're living in a day where you're either going to be known as a chosen or you're going to be known as, as a not chosen. doesn't mean that God didn't call you. It just means that you didn't respond. When it comes, when you know, when when the rubber meets the road, when when times get tough, and all of a sudden it comes to your door, which it is coming, it's coming. I don't mean to scare anybody. I'm not trying to frighten anybody into the kingdom. If I can frighten you in, you can be frightened out. I'm not trying to frighten anybody into the kingdom. Here's what I'm saying: There's coming a day, as it was back in this day, that to be a Christian might mean your life. And sometimes it's easier to die for your faith than it is to live for your faith. To live for Christ. It's easier to die for Christ than it is to live for Christ. Because dying, hey, I can stand, I can withstand anything. For a short term, and even if they kill me, it's okay, I can do that, I can handle that. It's the daily living which becomes the more difficult thing. Are you going to live for Christ are you living for Christ? Are you the called? Are you also the chosen? Are you, have you responded to Christ? Paul says, I'm called apostle. That's what it is. I'm called an apostle. I'm called a saint. Are you called a saint? Saint doesn't mean that a church says that you're a saint. Doesn't mean that some governing body says, well, this person has done this, this, and this, and done these miracles or that miracle, and so therefore they are saints. You're a saint 
only based upon one person, one governing authority, and that's Jesus Christ. You and I are saints based upon who Jesus Christ is. He's called you to be a saint. Have you responded in like? And are you truly a child of the Lord? Are you truly a child of the Lord? And if so, it's called surrender. It's called living your life for Him. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean that there aren't going to be difficult times in your life. But here's the one thing. It means that life is going to be different than the way you used to live it. Because you're no longer living it for you. You're now living it for Christ. Paul says, I have been crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live for him who gave himself for me. Here's the thing. If you're living for you, I I really want you to ask this question. Have you really surrendered your heart to Christ? I want us to be saved, guys. I want us to be in heaven together. I want us to be bold. I want us to be strong. I want us to be believers that truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. Doesn't mean that you aren't even in sin right now. It just means, hey, when you're confronted with the sin, and that means even internally by the Holy Spirit confronting you in your Holy Spirit or in your spirit, in your conscience, hey, what you're doing is not right. What you're, the road you're on is not proper. Are you willing to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, you know what, I'm going to call it what you're calling it. It's not right. And it is not right, Lord. Help me to change. I call it for what it is. I repent of it. Help me to change and give me the strength to not keep going down these roads. I want to be the man. I want to be the woman that you want me to be. Because really what it all comes down to, guys, is that when God was back in the apostolic time or the times of the disciples, when he lived and died upon the earth and rose again, I believe that in a very simplistic form, that God in through history of mankind kind of lined up every man, woman, and child that would ever live upon the face of the earth. And he went and he picked out Peter and he picked out John and James and Andrew. He picked out all those guys. You guys are going to represent me in the days that I'm here on the earth and I die and I rise again from the dead. And you guys are going to be the the nucleus of, of what's going to become the church. I'm picking you guys. I'm going to pick you guys. And, and Moses and all of those that went through the wilderness, I'm going to pick you, Moses, and, and Joshua and Caleb. You guys are, I want to pick you guys because this is the time and the season that I've chosen you to affect the world around you. But when he came to, I believe, the last day's church, he lined us up and his hand came upon every single one of you. Every single one of us in this room. And he's called us to represent him in these last days. Are you willing to take up that call? Are you willing to look at your life as understanding that God handpicked you for this day, for this purpose, to be his person, his believer, his representative in the world? And in order to do that, guys, we've got to know this, don't we? We've got to know God's heart. 
We've got to have an ongoing relationship. We've got to have the heart that Paul says, I am called an apostle. I am called a saint. I am a saint whether I am succeed or whether I don't. My life is defined by who God has called me to be, saint. And so therefore, I'm going to rise to the occasion and I'm going to live the rest of my life for what God has called me, saint. That's what Paul lived his life like. That's how I want us to live our lives. That's what I want to challenge you with. Will people come to know Christ through our lives? I pray so. Will people come to know Christ through your life? It's a lot easier to say our life and collectively talk about us corporately. But what about you individually? God has handpicked you personally to represent him. Let's live for him. Amen? Let's understand we have been called Kletos and chosen to follow him and to live for him. Father, thank you so much for today. And and I pray, Lord, that even as we have gotten through one word here, um, I pray that word was very, very powerful to me as I studied. Um, It was a word that impacted me and what it was that you were getting across to me in my time of study. I pray, Lord, that it has been articulated in such a way that it is understandable to us in this room that we have been adequately challenged in our own personal life to recognize that I have definitively made a decision to follow Christ or I have definitively not made a decision yet. And if that is the case of anyone in this room, then Lord, I pray right now that not to spend a lot of time on this, but Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that really has played church, has just played Christianity, has just played with faith their whole life, and eh, it's all going to work out in the end. I don't get too much into it. But today, they've come face to face with understanding, hey man, time is short, and God handpicked me. Am I actually making him proud? Am Am I actually leading the charge? Am I I even a part of the charge? Am I actively doing anything for him? And today, Lord, if there's anyone in this room that looks at their life and says, no, no, I'm I'm not. I'm not living for him. I'm living for me. In fact, I don't know that I've ever surrendered my life completely to him and lived for him. If that's you today, you can simply open your heart. God hears your heart. God knows your heart. God knows your mind. God knows where you are. He knows what you've heard here today. He knows how it impacted you. He knows what's going on in your mind right now. If you want to be his, tell him. Repent. You already heard me say what repentance is. Confess. You already heard me what I, what I said confession is. It's just calling what God calls it. Repentance means turning away from where it is that you have been. And, and walking towards the Lord and doing what it is that God has called you to do. And when you slip and you fall, you confess, you repent, you are restored. God has called every one of us in this room. Have we all responded? And I pray, Lord, that we all have. If there's that one in this room that has said, you know what, I, I don't, I don't want to play games anymore. I, it's, getting, it's getting serious out there, man. It's getting serious in this world. And I do not believe for one moment that God just created me to 
get up, go to work, come home, and do it all again. Simply to occupy oxygen in this earth. There's more to my life than simply work, family, toys, and sleep. I want to make a difference for you, Lord. Show me. Show me what my plan is. Show me what my course is. Show me what my path is. Lord, today I, I, I hadn't really ever seen it that your hand came to me and you stopped and you looked in my eyes and you looked at my heart and you said, that one is mine to represent me in these days. I've never personalized it. I may have thought about corporately. You've handpicked a lot of people but you stopped on me. You saw something there that you wanted to do in and through my life. And so God, I don't know what that is. Maybe you're here and you may know some of what that is and you just have failed to do it. Lord, we just come before you and we just say, Lord, help us to live out the remaining days of our life on the path that you've created for us. Even as I started this message today in Jeremiah 29, 11, as the Lord says, I know my thoughts towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and to give you a hope to bring you to a glorious end. God, you already have a path set out for me. And now God, show me how to live this life that I have never lived thus far. I confess my sin. I confess my, my failures. I confess all of those things that have kept me away from being all that you've ever called me to be. And now, Lord, today, I want to change that. I want to follow you all the rest of the days of my life. I want my life to matter. You handpicked me, then, Lord, help me to make a mark. Help me to make my mark. Help me to do what it is that you've called me to do. Give me the strength to do it. Give me the words to do it. Give me the vision to do it. Give me the ability to stand boldly in those times where I would normally cower. God, show me what my plan is and then give me the ability and the strength and the power to do it, which I know you will. You're never going to call me to do something that you will not also equip me to do. Today, Lord, I'm going to place a stake in the ground. I want this to be a beginning day of the rest of my life where I can look back on this day and say, you know what, Lord, this was a day I understood that you called me saint. Not simply to be a saint, but you called me saint. And Lord, I'm going to pick up that banner and I'm going to run with it. And I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I pray that upon every one of these believers in this room, Lord. And those that don't know you, God, I pray that you grab a hold of their lives quickly. And I know you would if they would allow you. You're not going to overpower anybody. God, I pray for their souls. I see where this world is going and I see how desperate this world is, is desperately fast. This world is turning away from you. And it's only going to be more difficult by the day to turn and follow you. And I pray that those who do not know you yet and have not yet bowed their knee, God, that you would do business with them, God. Show them the way. Show them your love. God, let them see the futility of this world and grasping out after the wind of this world. It's not going to lead them anywhere but to sorrow, heartache, and loss, and death, and separation from you. To 
That's not what you wanted out of their life. It's not what you designed in their life to be. You want them to be in heaven with you. And God, I pray that they would respond soon. Even today. Thank you, God, for messages like this that challenge us to further live our life for you. In Jesus' name, amen.